You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 13, Planning for a Fiber Shed Garden. Here's what's happening on the farm. Um, it is early November. Um, we have a beautiful, glorious day outside. It's um, probably going to be in the 70s today, which is really weird for November. Um, Bill is down uh, mowing down weeds in the um, hayfield so that we can get a good head start on that uh, once winter is over. But getting rid of all the Johnson grass that uh, has blown in from other people's farms. Johnson grass is, um, it's an invasive weed that was brought over from Africa. Um, nobody likes to eat it. They thought it would be really good forage for cows and um, pigs and that kind of thing. And while it's young, the animals will eat it. But once it becomes mature, um, they won't touch it. It's, I think it has a bitterness to it. Um, and so they just won't eat it. Well, and so it makes a million seeds. There's like, you know, one acre can make like a ton of seeds or something like that. I mean, amazing amount of seeds, but it also propagates through, uh, rhizomes. So, you know, you can't, not that we do till our field, um, but we, we can't till it. That's not even a choice because once you cut into those rhizomes, new plants will start, um, so it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, we get help from the county to come and do some spraying. It's far enough away from anything that we're eating or producing um, that it doesn't affect us. But um, we had it, we had basically eradicated it um, probably five years ago. And then our the neighboring farm went bankrupt and people moved out. And so there was nobody mowing down their fields or their weeds and all of their Johnson grass blew into our field. And so now we have to start all over again. Um, not fair. It's hard being a farmer. Um, we're closing in on the last few shows of the year. Uh, we've got one virtual show and two in-person shows as the in-person shows will go on as long as um, everything is allowed to stay open, um, with very much social distancing, wearing masks and being safe so far. We've been really great with that. And, um, so I'm doing some holiday dyeing. I'm making up kits for that, for, um, gifts and that kind of thing. Um, so that's basically what's happening on the farm, but I'm really looking forward to the new year and, um, all that it will bring. And that's what today's episode is all about. So just to go back in case you missed it with fiber shed, I've been talking about it for the last four or five, um, episodes. Basically it's a nonprofit mission that has the mission of bringing mindfulness, mindfulness to your clothing choices or to our textiles and our clothing choices, any textile really that's in your life. Um, the textile industry is the single biggest polluter in the world, um, not only um, from 
the making of the textiles uh, f- that primarily a lot of the, this is made through petroleum products, but also through the dyeing of those textiles where they're using um, carcinogens um, to get those bright, vibrant colors that we all love. Um, and while the textile industry has mostly left America, um, and so we don't see it and we aren't in charge of um, regulating it anymore. It's really unhealthy for the people who work in that industry. And most of them are in third world countries and making, you know, pennies on the dollar, not making a living wage. Um, so there's a lot that we can do um, to better, to make better choices. So in the fiber shed world, what is, um, you know, what, what's the answer? Um, the big picture would be if all things were beautiful and equal and we had a lot of um, small farms out there producing uh, fibers of all kinds, not just animal fibers like most of us have around here in the Mid-Atlantic, but also producing you know, cotton and linen and hemp and doing it in a sustainable way. And then we could all have our own little fiber shed. A fiber shed is... Um, sourcing your textiles, your fiber that you wear, the fiber that you use to craft with within a hundred mile or 150 mile radius of your home. Um, But that's, we're not there yet. We still have a long way to go in this process. Um, So in the meantime, it's about, you know, buying sustainable organic clothing when you can reuse what you have. um, Make sure that you buy quality um, hundred percent natural fiber clothing and then treat it well, um, buying those classic pieces and making a capsule wardrobe. And yeah, every once in a while, go out and, and buy something, you know, colorful to add to that. But, you know, keep in mind that your most of your wardrobe would be that 100% natural organic clothing. When you do buy, and if you're uh, somebody who knits or crochets, that's probably why you're listening to this podcast, you know, try to buy from local producers. There's um, many, many local producers and ask them about uh, what they're using, making sure that um, that what you are buying is local. And um, if you want to know more about that, you can check out my previous episodes. So... There are three, you know, there are fiber shed yarns, there are fiber shed fabrics, and there are fiber shed colors. So here in Maryland, it's local yarn is, or local wool and alpaca yarn is pretty easy to find. We have lots of um, small fiber farms that are making the effort to uh, get their fleeces made into yarn. Our yarn is either grown here or at partner farms. Um, Synergy is an exception to that. The partner farm that I have is in the West and um, the fleeces are brought back by um, Emily Emily and Kevin, our shearers that go to the West to shear. Um, Our fleeces are cleaned and processed in Michigan and that's for a really... um, important reason because I specialize in fine wools. I need to have my fleeces combed. That takes out all the little nubby, noily bits. 
And um, the, the mill in Michigan is the closest one that, um, that actually has combs. So I have to go that far out. Um, so I feel like I'm still doing the fiber shed thing, although um, part of my process is outside my fiber shed, but I have to do that. I, there aren't comb any mills with combs in my area. And our yarn is locally spun within my fiber shed. So fiber shed fabrics, these are going to, these are harder to find. Um, there are some people that are producing local felt, a lot of um, alpaca farmers, they have felting looms that um, have like a million felting needles in them and you run it through kind of like a kind of like a sewing machine process, but it's like all these uh, felting needles going back and forth. Um, and as you know, if you've been listen a listener here, I'm still looking for local cotton, linen, and hemp fabric. Um, it's not going to be in my fiber shed because there's nobody here that's growing that, but I'm hoping I can find it in a nearby fiber shed. I'm looking to um, Southeast New England fiber shed for linen. Haven't found anybody yet and I'm looking to the there's a couple of fiber sheds in uh, in the North Carolina area South Carolina area I'm looking to them for cotton and linen again I haven't quite gotten that yet but um, I'm still on the lookout for that and of course if you are a weaver you can make your own uh, fiber shed fabrics with fiber shed yarns right um, or you if you're not a weaver maybe you find a weaver to make some really beautiful hand-woven fabric for you. And fiber shed colors. So color can come from the fiber itself, like naturally colored cotton, naturally colored wool, alpaca, cashmere, um, mohair, any, of, um, any fiber animals come in a variety of colors. Um, they're mostly gonna be browns and blacks and charcoals um, and some grays. You know, you're not going to find a blue animal, sorry, <laughs> or a bright pink one. Um, that's just the name of the game, right? And of course, color can come from natural dyes made from plant or animal sources. Um, a true fiber shed color would be something that you harvested within or you or the dyer, if you are uh, purchasing from a dyer, um, that is harvested within that person's fiber shed. Um, that's going to narrow down the array of colors, especially here in the mid-Atlantic. Um, again, it's going to be hard to get that bright, bright pink color that we love that will would come from cochineal. Um, it's a tiny beetle that's not found in the mid-Atlantic. It's found in Central America. But we can try. We can make progress. And that's that's what my point is, is that I don't think... Um, even for myself, I'm not going to have a perfect fiber shed outfit or a perfect fiber shed wardrobe anytime soon, but I'm going to start to make progress toward that. So my goal for the coming year um, is twofold. One is I'm going to be adding naturally colored yarn to, um, to my lines of, of dye. And I'm going to be using colors that I currently have, even though they aren't truly local to me. So I have an array of natural dye uh, products, plant and animal. I'm going to be using those since I already purchased those. 
I've purchased them a long time ago. Um, I'm reteaching myself how to how to do all that kind of dyeing because it's a little bit more um, finicky than um, using acid dyes or using a dyes for cotton and hemp. Um, but that's my goal is to make a, a line of yarn that is going to be colored with natural colors, natural dyes. And it's going to start out as a in my worsted weight line um, with my new polypay yarn. I'm going to, that's my goal for the year. But my second goal for the year is to be planning a dye garden. And um, then I can do that foraging and those, those dyes would be totally local to me. But I, the harvesting time will be later in the year and obviously the planting time is later in the year. So we have a kind of, I guess you would call it a truck garden. That's what Bill kind of calls it. Um, we have, a, it's a pretty large um, space that um, was here when we bought, bought our farm. It's usually just an overgrown mess. And um, we typically don't use a lot of the space. Like Bill will maybe use a third of it to plant um, our food for the year. And so um, I'm going to take part of that truck garden and, um, and plant dye seeds in there, dye plants in there. Um, it's a place where we don't get a whole lot of our deer population going through. Sometimes we do, but I, especially since um, a lot of these dye plants, I'm, you want to use the flowers. I don't want to have them out where the deer can just willy-nilly eat all the flowers off. This is the second time that I'm planting a, a dye garden. The first time I planted weld, which is a yellow color. I planted Japanese indigo and I planted matter. And the only thing that thrived was the matter. It's still going. So I'm not going to plant any more of that in my new garden because matter is, woo, it's invasive too. Um, you have to let it grow for a number of years because you, the part that you use for dyeing is the roots. And so the roots have to be um, like two years old before you can harvest them. Um, I thought I had taken all of the roots out um, this past summer because they would have been like a five-year-old roots. And guess what? They came back. So I still have a lot of matter. <laughs> I don't need to replant that. So what if you live in an apartment or you live in a place where you don't have a, a big place where you can plant a whole garden? Well, you can plant in pots. A lot of these, especially like that matter, um, would be great in a pot because it's not going to be invasive. Um, you can keep control of it. You need a big pot because you need to have enough depth for those um, roots. Um, but at least you could control them. And yes, plant all those wonderful flowers and then harvest the flower heads to make the dye. So these are the colors that I ha have currently. Um, so with the yellows, um, what I have bought is calendula, dyers, coreopsis, marigold, weld, and zinnias. Um, and I can forage for goldenrod. And for purples, I have hollyhocks, 
Um, Hopi black dye sunflowers. I've never tried those before. Bachelor buttons and pin cushion flowers. Of course, I just talked about the orange matter. And for browns, um, walnut husks. We have a lot of black walnut trees here. And I actually have a pot fermenting right now. And that's going to be the first dye that I use in the coming weeks. Um, when we've planted our first uh, gardens, it, when we moved in here, we read all about um, something called lasagna gardening. And basically, it's putting down some kind of a barrier um, to the weeds that are naturally there in the soil and then covering that up with non-weedy mulch. Um, and that, and it worked really well for a while. Um, we need to do it again at some point, um, in the front yard, um, or just keep planting stuff. So it, it makes the weeds kind of get, uh, go away because there's not enough room for my dye garden. What I'm going to do instead of those feed bags, I'm going to, um, use a cotton sheet. It's hundred percent cotton that we, um, that became so threadbare that it's not, we can't use it anymore because it's becoming holy. Um, and so I, but I can reuse that fabric and when it breaks down, it will also be, um, feeding the soil. So, um, I think that's going to be a really good choice for me. Um, what we usually do when Bill gets ready to plant, because he's really the gardener, um, is that we rototill the garden and then we'll put down that, that cotton sheet and then I'll plant through it. And we'll put mulch on top of that and then plant. Um, so for us, um, I looked up all the flower seeds that I have um, and instruct you to plant after the first frost-free date. And you can look that up online for your area. Our frost-free date is Mother's Day. Um, and for all of the flowers, what I'm going to be harvesting is the blossoms. So I'll be actually um, not deadheading because you want the you still want the vibrant color that you have in those in the flower heads. So I'll be cutting back those flowers a lot during the summer months. Golden, like I mentioned, goldenrod and walnuts are harvested later in the summer or early in the fall. And I just have to keep my eyes out for that. Um, I think I said in a, in a different podcast, I was going down the road just not even like three weeks ago. And I noticed that there was some uh, a good amount of goldenrod. And like three days later, when I had some scissors in a bag, it was all gone. I don't know if somebody else foraged it or it just like died. It was gone. Got to keep my eyes peeled for that. And then I have the choice of using it now or using it later. And that's going to really depend on what kind of harvest I have. If I have lots of blossoms, then I will be able to make the dye pots immediately. Um, and because you need a lot of, of dye stuffs to um, make a good amount of dye. You need the same amount by weight as the yarn. So if I want to do one pound of yarn, I need to have one pound of flower heads, flower blossoms. That's a lot. So we'll have to see what happens um, 
how densely these plants will come up, if we'll have a good flowering year or not. Um, but if the harvest comes in in dribs and drabs, flowering here, flowering there, flowering in the other place, then I'll have to pick them and freeze them until I have enough to die with. So I was thinking I would just take a, like a gallon size Ziploc bags or maybe even the larger ones of those, make sure I've got a label on them and because um, you want to keep each of the flowers separate, obviously. And then just keep adding to those as I uh, cut off the heads. And as soon as I have enough to dye, then I can make my dye pot. So in the meantime, because that's now we're talking, you know, like 10 months from now, nine months from now, it's a long time to wait. Yeah. So, but in the meantime, I'm going to be, like I said, rehoning my skills for natural dyes. I've taken a lot of classes through the years. I've learned from the best masters of natural dyeing, and now I just have to rehome my skills. I'm going to be using the dye extracts that I already have. And that means that while it isn't, it didn't originate in my fiber shed, at least it agrees with the spirit of the fiber shed, and that is to use what we have and not to waste anything. I'll be keeping everybody apprised in my progress, so be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. You And thank you for listening to my podcast. And if you want to, even more information, I do a Thursday live, uh, a, a Facebook live every Thursday at one o'clock, my time. So I thank you all for listening today. If you have any comments, um, please submit them on iTunes or you can shoot me an email. Um, I'm excited about moving forward in, in the fiber shed movement and um, making my fiber shed wardrobe one garment at a time. So until I see you in person or virtually, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.